We're going to be just doing some short teaching times uh, on Sunday evenings and uh, using, using the Second London Baptist Confession as kind of a, a framework uh, to help us hit uh, points of doctrine, uh, to help us to grow in the knowledge of our great God. And uh, how many of you have ever kind of slowly walked through the confession? What's that? Okay, great. Um, just a little background on how did the London Baptist Confession come together? Uh, one author wrote this The confession itself was first compiled by the elders and brethren of many congregations of Christians bapti- baptized upon their profession of faith in London and the country, and as they described themselves, uh, in the year 1677. And uh, it was based upon and drew inspiration from the confession drawn up by the Westminster Assembly of Divines a generation earlier. Uh, I have a a PDF that uh, looks and compares the Westminster Confession and the Second London Baptist Confession. And it's interesting to see. You can tell where you might as well stand on the shoulders of people who have been really faithful. And uh, and then you can see where some differences are. Indeed, it differs only from its teaching uh, in the matters such as baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church government, upon which the Reformed churches and the Baptists differed from the Presbyterians. For fear of persecution, the compilers of the 1677 Confession did not subscribe their names to it. But when in September 1689, the following revolution of the previous year, the ministers and messengers of the churches were able to meet in more peaceful times 37 of them, including uh, the most eminent Baptist ministers of the day, set their names to the recommendation with which that was circulated among the churches. Thereafter, for between 150 to 200 years, it remained the definitive confession of particular or Calvinistic Baptist churches of England and Wales. Uh, Charles Spurgeon printed it for his congregation when he was at New Park Street uh, Chapel. And he put this, and I think this is important for us to be reminded of. He says, this little volume is not issued as an authoritative rule or code of faith, whereby you are to be fettered, I mean tied, but as an assistance to you in controversy, a confirmation in faith and a means of edification in righteousness. Here, the younger members of our church will have a body of divinity in small compass or small scale. And by means of the scriptural proofs, will be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in them. Be not ashamed of your faith. Remember, it is the ancient gospel of martyrs, confessors, reformers, and saints. Above all, it is the truth of God against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. Let your lives adorn your faith. Let your example adorn your creed. Above all, live in Christ Jesus and walk in him, giving credence to no teaching, but that which is manifestly approved of him and owned by the Holy Spirit. Cleave fast to the word of God, which is here mapped out for you. And so we do not see the confession as an aid by which scripture is needed to hold to. Uh, it is, uh, I think, how, how um, 
how Spurgeon uses this. It is a body of divinity of small compass. It's a dissemination of what we believe scripture teaches. And so it's helpful for us to to see. And as we walk through this, there's going to be words that are weird. They'll feel awkward. But I hope as we understand that those words are chosen carefully because often particular words were to show and, and to delineate between different positions. Well, sometimes we maybe want to smooth it out as far as some of the archaic language, but often those words were there because they drew a line in the sand that sometimes we don't realize. And and our desire is that we can maybe see some of that. And and as we uh, begin, the, the confession itself begins with chapter one on the Holy Scriptures. And so I, I printed this out because I'm a person who it's, it helps me to see things. And so we're just going to be looking at kind of the first part of paragraph one. But follow along with me. And this is uh, chapter one, paragraph one of uh, the confession. It says, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave man inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to, excuse me, they are not sufficient that the knowledge of God and his will, which is, unne- which is necessary unto salvation. As we consider the, the writers of the confession begin with scripture because that is our source of authority that is as paragraph one <clears throat> states that it is the only sufficient certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge faith and obedience notice i put it this way the quality of the scriptures and we've looked at this in recent weeks in second timothy three sixteen and 17 that all scripture has been given by inspiration of god that it is that is what we need because God has revealed it. He has given it. And because it is from and from God, it is inspired by God, it is sufficient that we may be complete for thoroughly equipped for every good work. But notice the three words that are, are used there. It is sufficient, it is certain, and it is infallible. Sufficient meaning it's all that we need. It's certain meaning that it's unwavering and that it is infallible, meaning it is trustworthy. We see the beauty of the scriptures to be the foundation that it is not what we create, what we think that is the scriptures that are our guide in all things, that it is without error in all that it speaks. And we looked at uh, recently that, okay, it, it doesn't tell us what two plus two is. But what is it is speaking of that, and even the, the framers of the, the, the confession state, certain, certain, excuse me, sufficient, certain, infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. And so the quality of the scriptures is based upon who it's come from. God in his infinite wisdom and in his holiness and his perfection is, perfections have given us uh, the the word of God that we can see it that we might know that we might believe and that we might obey it even second Timothy 3 16 that it's profitable for a doctrine that's the knowledge the the truth of who God is 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. The whole purpose of the scriptures is not to just give us information, but it is to show us who God is. And in light of that, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so it is all that we need for the saving knowledge. There is nothing outside of the scriptures that we need to know to be saved. In it contains everything that we need to know. In it, it, it um, as Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. I would propose that today, the modern translation of Romans ten seventeen is, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by private interpretation or private revelation, excuse me. That's not true. We don't receive new revelation. God has given it to us. It's all that we need. It is sufficient for us to be saved and that we can trust it. We can look to it for all saving knowledge to build up our faith and then to lead us into obedience. Because God has given it to us that we might know how to walk in his ways. Just as he gave the, the law to Israel, he's given us the whole of scripture that we might see his ways, to see the beauty to how to follow his ways. But notice what paragraph one states. Though it is the, the sufficient, certain, infallible rule, it notes that there is a limit to the scriptures. There's a limit um, excuse me, a limit to creation because we speak of general revelation and special revelation. Have you heard those terms before? General revelation, speaking of creation around us. Psalm 19, one to three, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Dated unto day, utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So nature, the works of creation, even providence declares and shows God that man knows that God exists. But creation cannot save us. There's a limit to it. That creation shows forth God, but it is just the knowledge of God. It is not the, there is nothing in creation that shows us how to be saved. We needed something other than just creation. And so that's why we speak of special revelation, not just general revelation in creation, but special revelation that God has given it to us. Romans hits on this same thing in Romans 1 verse 19 and 20. But because what may be known of God is manifest to them, speaking of, uh, uh, continues, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. Often the question is asked, how can God be just to condemn someone to hell who hasn't heard about him? And this is the answer to that. It's a sobering answer. The question that people ask, what, is, what about the innocent person on the island somewhere who hasn't heard the gospel? And the answer is, no one is innocent. That all, that creation shows that there is a God and that he is to be worshipped. But we're left short. 
And God graciously gives His Word. Because nature itself cannot give salvation. As the last uh, section in that, it is not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. We can see all these man-made religions because there's all this seeking to be made right with a deity. And it comes through different means and different ways. And everyone is seeking, but seeking the wrong thing because Scripture is what has to be that tool by which we understand God rightly, to understand ourselves rightly, to understand our need and what the, the true gospel is. And I, and I, as I was just thinking on this um, section. How often do we stand in gratitude before God that we have the Scriptures? He could have created us and just left us guilty. But yet he's given us his word that we might know who he is rightly, to know what salvation is, to know where our hope is, that we're not just left without excuse, but he provides the answers. And in his word, we have the answers that we need to know who he is, to know what salvation is, and to know what he's called us to do and to be. And so every time we open the word, it's a gift. It's a gift that God has spoken forth into our world that we might know him, that we might know the truth, that we might walk in that truth. What a great gift it is that we have the word of God.